0: Hi, my name is Dan Dick and welcome to Church Matters. Today we'll be broadcasting part two of a conversation with Steve Heinrichs, editor of a new book called Buffalo Shout, Salmon Cry. At the time of this recording in July 2013, the mainstream media has lost interest and is barely paying attention to some significant events occurring across Canada in the past year. Indigenous groups, joined by some white folks in some cases, have been holding walks, marches, and demonstrations in an effort to call attention to environmental violence and abuse. Burst oil pipelines have poisoned land, environmental scientists say they have been muzzled by governments, and other scientists are warning of global climate catastrophe as the atmosphere's carbon dioxide levels approach what they say is the point of no return. And even more recently a tanker car rail explosion in Quebec has killed dozens of people. It is in this unsettling context that a new book Buffalo Shout Salmon Cry has been released. Edited by Steve Heinrichs, the project brings together 38 voices of Christian and non-Christian indigenous and settler peoples in a conversation about caring for creation. Today I welcome Steve Heinrichs to our guest chair. Steve is the Director of Indigenous Relations at the Mennonite Church Canada National Office. One of his primary passions is bringing together Indigenous and white people to learn together how to better care for the natural world upon which we all depend for survival. A former pastor in the Carrier Territory of Northern British Columbia, Steve is energized by helping settler people grapple with the great hope and promise of life done together. Steve enjoys hearing the stories and experiences of Indigenous and settler people and is the editor of Buffalo Shout, Salmon Cry. He leads workshops, teaches, and preaches. We'll pick up our conversation where we left off on the last episode. So Wazia an Indigenous contributor to the book, references Christian priest and eco-theologian Thomas Berry who has suggested, and I quote, it would be wise for Christians to forget Jesus and shelve their Bibles for a while so they can reconnect with the earth, the primary revelation of the Creator. Should Christians really forget about Jesus and shelve their Bibles for a while? Or is Waz perhaps pointing out that Christians have blended Scripture and doctrine so well that the two are indistinguishable? Well,
1: I think Waz would say, um, honestly, she would hope that Christians shelve their Bibles and kind of get to know the land around them a bit more. I don't know if that's what Thomas Berry was saying. I think Thomas Berry was uh, speaking maybe in a moment of exasperation where he was trying to get the attention of Christians who have so focused on the scriptures that we've lost our connection to the world around us. We become insulated. And a way that we can actually rediscover Um, that Jesus who lived shalom here on earth as it is in heaven is actually to get out um, of our homes and workplaces and reconnect to the rivers and the bioregions in which we live and to learn from it as Romans 1 would even call us to, as other parts of scripture, Job 5, Job 12 says, bend your ear to the earth, listen to the land, and it will tell you good things about God. Well, I would agree with Thomas Berry. Maybe let's let's read our Bibles, but let's also get out there and bend our ear to the earth.
0: Wazitoin also writes that Christianity has a track record that brings fear into the hearts and minds of non-Christian peoples, unquote. She goes on to say, Most Christians, as in the Nazi Holocaust, have gone along with the system, enjoyed the unjust benefits passed on to them, and refused to question or raise their voices in significant protest. Steve Barry, a white American preacher, writes, We tend to be admirers of Jesus, but find following him too demanding and costly and cruciform. These are bold statements. If today's Christians have really strayed so far from the centrality of Jesus, how do we get back on track?
1: I have a couple responses. One, my gut just wants to shout out, no, it's not. Like, surely we're doing better than that. Um, So I'm not agreeing necessarily with every author in this book. But I hear the lament. I hear the pain. And on the ground when I'm with indigenous peoples, I see the fruits of colonialism and church missionary engagement that has not been mutual so i see the impact and i feel pain by it almost into paralysis where i don't i feel like what can we do but there are positive things that we can do and there are positive things that are that are being done even now so again i would say the first thing that we need to do is just build relationships with people around us just get to know and listen to these difficult stories and then learn the history. And then in holding the hands of host peoples around you, see, what can we do together? Things things are happening. So one example that I'd love to highlight is what's taking place in Saskatchewan with Mennonites and the young Chepewyan and the Lutherans there. They have came to an awareness in the 1970s that there was a land injustice that happened way back in the 1890s where Mennonites and Lutherans got this native land unwittingly they appropriated that land and now in the 1990s and the 2000s they've been starting to hear each other's stories coming together and gathering and committing to saying how can we rectify this land injustice and Mennonites have done some pretty incredible things raising lots of money to support
0: a land repatriation that's happening there so good stuff is happening When it comes down to the final thematic analysis of Buffalo, Shout, Salmon, Cry, it boils down to two possibilities for me, Steve. Either the Bible is not the final word on how humanity should care for creation, or we have grossly misunderstood the biblical directives on how to do so. Is it as simple as those two possibilities?
1: I think some readers might come to that conclusion, that is, we have two options before us. I think there are more options presented in the book. We, we do have a variety of authors, some celebrating the Bible as key wisdom for leading us today in our relationships with host peoples and host lands. And some are saying, well, we need to share some indigenous wisdom alongside that to read it well. And others are saying, no, the Bible is not trustworthy at all. We need to abandon that. I think I come out somewhere in the middle on that. The Bible is a very complex source. It is, I would say, the wisdom of many elders passed on to our community. And by the wisdom of the Spirit, we need to sit in this community. And we kind of, it's like um, being in a talking circle. So today, the Gospel of Luke has the talking stick and is speaking into it. And tomorrow, it's the book of Deuteronomy speaking into it. And how do we sit there with these elders and discern together? And sometimes I think some of my elders, they might have got it kind of wrong. I'm trying to discern that with the people in the mix along with me, both Native and non-Native in my church community. And sometimes I think, wow, I forgot about that sacred wisdom there. That is really useful. I think we need to, to run with that. So it's complex.
0: I think I fall out in the middle. You have a great deal invested in this book. Steve, could you read a short selection that stands out for you at this particular moment in time and say a few words about what exactly strikes you about your choice?
1: The reading I'd like to share is part of a poem by Lee Miracle, a Stalo indigenous woman who's probably in her early 60s, and it's called Blind Justice. And in this poem, she says that her communities, the Tsleil-Waututh, the chatus, the snock, the coquitlam, they have been devastated by so many things, by residential schools, by the erasure of their lands, by the, she says, the murder of the creatures around her. But there is hope, she says. We could recover, she says, from all these things and, and the creation can heal itself from the most devastating of Um, eco disasters, through the medicines that are around us, through healing songs and dances, and we can recover, she says, because we had friends, Christian friends. And I'm just humbled by that because alongside naming the healing powers that her community has been gifted by, she names the fact that there have been people in the church that have been faithful in journeying alongside indigenous communities. The church as a whole has struggled with living a mutual way, but there have been some who have named Jesus, who have been walking a path of justice and creation care alongside her sisters and brothers, and to that she gives honor. Blind Justice by Lee Miracle. Slay Watuth, Chatus Snock. Coquitlam. The mountains rise behind my ancestors and retreat from our care in the sale of them. Orchestrated by a department that seeks our vanquishment, $25 becomes millions in the blink of an eye. $25 becomes hunger cold in the next blink. Food becomes inadequate in the next blink. And the murder of Seal. Sea vegetables, cedar, whale, and sockeye. It crippled our ability to eat. We struggled to mature without food. Mr. Harper is sorry. Me too. We could have recovered from smallpox. We had community. We had medicine. We had healing songs and dances. But we were banned from singing and dancing. We could have recovered. We
0: had friends, Christian friends. Laura Donaldson, another contributor to the book, compares the redemption of creation to composting. She writes that redemption is ongoing, not a future state that leaves behind biological existence. If creation is in fact on the brink of being destroyed forever, is there any hope that humanity can redeem the natural world?
1: I struggle with hope. I'm not sure. Um, You know, in if we were to be truly cynical about this, we could say the greatest gift to creation would be the demise of the human species. Actually, creation would recover fully. Um, so, So what does that say? Like, what is our role in healing creation as the creature that has caused the most problems? But the Bible does say that God's spirit is at work that God is actively engaging the whole of humanity in a redemptive process. I don't know how to hold those two realities together. I do find encouragement for other pe- from other people and communities that are feel the urgency about the situation, that are trying to come together and say, what can we tangibly do on the ground that will make a difference, both individually and collectively. So there are times when I think, yeah, I don't know how much time our species has left. Um, and I don't know how to jive that with uh, hopeful words in Revelation and Romans 8. Um, I struggle with that. But I'm, I feel the call and I know others do, say we do everything that we can with laughter and joy and even pain and lament in our hearts to follow the Jesus way, which is bringing shalom and holding each other in this as we have tears and we don't know what to to do at
0: times. We appreciate you coming in and all the best with the book. Thanks very much, Dan. That completes the second and final part of our two-part series on creation care in the book Buffalo Shout, Salmon Cry. We have over 20,000 listeners to this program. In 2012, Church Matters podcasts were downloaded nearly 6,000 times. We're grateful for each and every listener. To continue hearing Church Matters, please consider supporting this program with a gift to Mennonite Church Canada. To give, just call 1-866-888-6785 or visit MennoniteChurch.ca and click on the donate link. If you would like to access the book Buffalo Shout Salmon Cry or the Reaching Up to God, Our Creator curriculum, visit resources.mennonitechurch.ca. My name is Dan Dick and you've been listening to Church Matters. I'll close out our theme on creation care with these words by Ched Myers taken from Buffalo Shout, Salmon Cry. We can't save what we don't love. We can't love what we don't know. And we can't know what we haven't learned. Thanks for listening.
1: As you go out from here, may the Lord go with you. The face of God shine on you every day. We are sent by God wherever